This episode of GameScoop is sponsored by Squarespace. If you're looking for a way to make your business stand out and succeed online, Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for you. They take the stress out of creating an awesome website, engaging with your audience, and selling anything from products to content to time so you're able to focus on, you know, everything else. In other words, you'll have more time for gaming. With the new guided design system, you can choose from curated layouts and styling options to build a unique online presence from the ground up, optimized for every device. And with Squarespace's integrated, optimized SEO tools, you'll show up more often to more people. Squarespace doesn't just make things easier for you. Checkout for your customers is made seamless with simple but powerful payment tools that allow you to accept credit cards, PayPal, and Apple Pay. And in eligible countries, offer the option to buy now and pay later with Afterpay and ClearPay. So whether you're just starting out or looking to expand your existing brand, be sure to visit squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com gamescoop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com gamescoop for 10% off. You know, when it comes to wireless carriers, sometimes what you see isn't always what you get. Except with Visible. With Visible, what you see is exactly what you get. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. With Visible, there are no hidden fees, no fine print, no hassle, nothing to hide. It's just $25 a month, all taxes and fees included. And you don't need more than one line of wireless to save. You can save on a line all to yourself with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. And again, just $25 a month. The future of wireless is here and it is transparent. If you want more transparency in your wireless plan, you want to be on the Visible plan. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. That's Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to IGN Gamescoop. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. Joining me this week is Vince Ingenito, Brandon Tyrell, and making his first Scoob appearance, Jonathan Dornbush. Scoob! If you don't know him, he's one of our news writers. He works for Andrew Goldfarb. He's an all-around cool dude. Try. <laughs> Thanks for coming by the show. Thank you for we having me. we got a great show for you this week. We're going to talk about Deus Ex. Uh, it's a subject I know Vince cares about, at least. Yes. Uh, yes. We're going to talk about, apparently, uh, Bioware has a new game coming out mm-hmm. in the not-too-distant future. But first, we got an email from one of our listeners, Joe W. He emailed us at the email address. Hey, w. At IGN.com, just like you can. And he says, I'm curious, how much AAA games should really cost? Allow me to explain. I walk into a GameStop, and I want to buy Mass Effect Andromeda. It's 60 bucks. Assuming GameStop is making money on every game sold, how much are they paying EA per unit and how much are they making in profit? Now I open up my or- I open up Origin on my PC, I want to buy Mass Effect Andromeda. It's 60 bucks. Why? If I'm buying right from the publisher, why am I paying the same amount that I would pay to a third party? Or I go to Amazon. I want to buy Mass Effect Andromeda. I have Amazon Prime, so it's $48. Assuming Amazon still wants to make a profit on each unit sold, how much are they paying EA per unit and how much are they making in profit? (laughs) It seems to me that AAA games are $60 because they just are. There just seems to be no rhyme or reason to it. Whether you're buying from a distributor or right from the publisher, it's the same price. It doesn't make sense to me. So the place this question has to go to is the publisher. That's where the money is in this in, in this industry. Like this this whole triangle of like the retailer and the developer and the publisher and everyone's like where does all the money go? Who has it? The publisher has it. Like that's the answer. Like I remember I used to work at GameStop 
uh, back when they were Electronics Boutique. And I think it was Diablo 2 was the moment where I realized this, where my, where my manager clued me into what was going on, that if someone bought a copy of Diablo 2, which was $49.99 at the time, which yeah. was the standard price for games then, um, if they bought a copy of Diablo 2 new with an American Express, the uh, that little extra merchant's fee tagged on by American Express actually made our total uh, financial outlook on that purchase a loss. We were actually losing money on the sale of that new game. And on game, and if it wasn't by Amex, then we were probably making $2 per, per unit, which is why, of course, uh, GameStop focuses so much on pre-owned. On so the, new the stuff. Profit margins for brick and mortar are like well, but so, horrible. Hold, razor well, horrible. See, yeah, I, I understand it differently. I understand on a sixty dollars game bought at a retailer, about half goes to the publisher, and about twenty five percent goes to the retailer. That's how I understand it. Maybe it's changed since. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I haven't been in. I haven't been in games retail in ten years now, so it's possible it's changed. Yeah. Well, it, uh, and. The sixty dollars price has been the standard for about ten years now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I exited Since right around the start the of the three sixty. Yeah, I exited right after the three sixty. Well, and launch. speaking to the yeah. question, it was talking about the difference between online and in store. While stores still obviously digital sales are rising, we've seen that as mm. year over year. Mm -hmm. But stores still make up in store purchases still make up a huge. Uh, oh sure, yeah. a huge amount of it, and yeah. so it wouldn't make sense for a direct publisher or a marketplace like the Sony Marketplace to sell at a huge loss compared to that. Because if they're selling their game for forty, obviously players are going to go there instead of the store. They don't want to anger the oh, store. Okay. It's just so you, it's uh, a relationship. Th yeah. I I think at least part of that is still a relationship play in terms of why they're still sixty versus sixty online versus yeah. in store. So yesterday EA released their financials. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I don't know yeah. what quarter it was, but the recent financials for the holiday Q3. season. Q three. Uh, and I think they said that 60% of their revenues came from digital. Right? Yeah, yeah. So a little more than half yeah, is it's coming from rising. digital, but still 40% of their business is at retailer. So you're saying they are not going to charge less on Origin because that, that relationship with retail is still too valuable. To it, like, it's a, I think it's an important, important relationship play to maintain for sure, at sense. least for the time being. It's a little less than half their business. Yeah. Right. I mean, there is also <clears throat> businesses are going to charge the absolute maximum that they can, yes. mm -hmm. yeah. no matter what their product is, right? And yeah. I think they just sort of also assume that people are used to paying $60 for a new game, so that's what they charge. Yeah. Unless you're Amazon and you're trying to make sure that people well, come to your site and to buy from you no yeah. matter what. And that's what that's what the price on Amazon is all about. It's not, you know, when when the uh, when our, our reader, our viewer is saying, you know, that Amazon, you assume, wants to make a profit on it. They, they don't yeah. care I mean, at all. They don't need to make a profit on video games. They'd, they'd be very happy. A company like that, that has so much reach and is in so so many different markets where the price, like so. For instance, if you sell, I don't know, does Amazon sell clothes? Yes, they do. Okay, so yeah. so so yeah. I have yeah. 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 no idea. Um, but anything they sell everything. Yeah. That's what I mm -hmm. kind of assume, right? But like, let's take take something like clothes or something like stereo equipment. The markup on those is like three hundred percent. So it's like if they're selling stereo equipment at a three hundred percent markup, it's they, can, they yeah totally they can totally afford to take a hit on games just to make sure someone buys from them instead of their competitors, yeah. and then that person buys theoretically. Conversions, yeah, conversions conversion rates, yeah. yeah. And, you're, it's, and it's, you're seeing game sales happen more and more uh, sooner after the game comes out. You're seeing mm -hmm. games go down to thirty dollars, uh, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. all the time, much faster than it used to. For sure. Yeah. Plus, with a situation like on Amazon, uh, that Amazon Prime discount is something that you, the consumer, is already paying for. Yes. Sure. Like yeah. a PlayStation Plus game or Xbox yeah. games yeah. with gold, like it's yeah, recouped somewhat you've, through the. You've subsidized the whole system with your Amazon Prime yeah. subscription, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Amazon's got more money than they sort of know what 
as an entity, it knows what to do with. Right. Uh, so it's very reminiscent of like Microsoft selling 360s at a loss, you know, for the first couple of years of that that console just to get market share. If Amazon can sort of tilt the scales and make, you know, anybody with an online connection go to Amazon versus driving to Walmart, right? Like that's more business that they get, like you said, and then converting. So yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. Well, we were saying that $60 retail you know price on, on launch day is almost like a median price now when you consider that how quickly games are discounted now mm-hmm. as you say yeah. but then also well, yeah uh like you know special editions of games are 80 100 yeah. plus all of the like the season pass yeah, yeah. uh all of the the dlc all that bumps up the cost really above 60 dollars. Oh, so yeah. i really think of today's 60 dollars is like the medium price of video games yeah almost. well and especially when you still have digital games going for around 20 usually there there is a variation in price you mean like like indie like smaller yeah stuff? yeah for yeah. smaller stuff as well but yeah, yeah. that 60 dollars price isn't really the whole picture anymore mm-hmm. yeah and especially yeah. now as we see different games of all different sizes taking that price tag and a it bears like the question from the consumer very often, you know, what is what is sixty dollars worth of value? But like I don't think there's a hard and fast yeah. answer to that, which is why no one can really figure it out. Like that's why you still see that's why on you you can go you know to a store, you can buy two games that are sixty dollars. One of them could be and I'm not saying this is a matter of value to me, but one could be eight hours and another could be two hundred hours and they they occupy that same yeah. kind of space. Is that right? Is that wrong? I don't know, but like to some people that's a problem. Well it used to way back in the day when games were on cartridges, there was no like standardized oh. format. You'd yeah. go and look you'd go to like KB Toys and look at the Nintendo games and they were like all different prices. Yeah. Like thirty four dollars, fifty four dollars. And, and then all... memory was so expensive exactly. back then. Yeah. So like if you were yeah. buying a larger game that had more on the cart, I mean I remember, you know, uh I think it was Fantasy Star Two yeah. for the Genesis was one of the first six meg carts yep. instead of a four meg one mm-hmm. that was like eighty dollars yeah. those games you know? beyond oasis and yeah. uh shining force uh-huh. two i think was a really shining expensive in the darkness yeah. it's just like mm-hmm. there was no standardization of prices back yeah then. yeah but let me ask you guys this yeah. uh with the nintendo switch coming out uh we i mean we know I, i'm getting a switch i'm excited for it but we know it's just not as powerful as an xbox one or playstation 4 so what do you guys think about again the games are are Sixty dollars, same as a same as a PlayStation Four game, same as an Xbox One game. I mean, it, it brings it back to Vince's point, right? Like, where do you put value? Do you put value in the visuals? Do you put value in how much content comes there? I mean, it's a big reason we don't really put much weight on the price of a game when it factors into reviews, right? Or how long it is. It stands on its own merits. And so, what you want from a game is different from what I want from a game. So, if I think one two Switch is worth sixty dollars, and you don't, like, you know that's a decision that we make amongst ourselves. So I don't fault Nintendo for selling at the standardized price now, even though, I mean, we're coming into this generation knowing that, I'm sorry, we're coming into this console knowing that it's not sort of generation standard as far as power goes. Yeah. I'm I'm already pre-ordered a Switch. I'm looking forward to Zelda. I'm looking forward to one, two Switch with my friends in the living room. And, uh, you know, to me, those are both worth $60. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think they are exploring some variable pricing. I believe it might have changed since uh, they announced it in pre-orders one on sale, but one, two Switch was only 50 bucks at that time. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, but Zelda is a bargain. 60. Well, it's just, I think they're exploring, whereas I think something like Snipper Clips is even cheaper. So I think they're looking... That game looks really fun. That looks awesome. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited for it. But so it, they're clearly looking to see what the marketplace is willing to spend on something that's so different. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. And that's like, like it's always going to come down to the free market, right? Like I hate saying that, but it's going to be, you know, we'll know what the price of a game's, what, it, what the average price of a game is supposed to be based on whether or not the people go and pick it up. And something tells me that $50 for something like 1-2 Switch 
you know, maybe you get maybe you get the casual kind of like, you know, mom I mean, dad wants something cool and distracting for their family when people come over. Fine. Like those people might spend fifty dollars on that, not knowing what it is or not caring. Sure. But I don't think you're gonna convince millions and millions of people that that's the killer app that you need to spend fifty dollars. No, on. but there's a difference between the killer app and just like standardized pricing for something that, you know, they are releasing. Like what was Wii Sports priced at when it first came out? That's a great was question. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So it was packed in, so you didn't but even have Wii to pay Play, for it. Which came with the, uh, I believe it was, yeah, we play with the controller came. Mm-hmm. I think that was fifty. Okay. Uh, so sim- collection of similar. I mean, yeah, not inflated for you know time, but yeah, um, yeah. I, I think you don't really have to necessarily convince people to buy your system based on like one two switch or, or a piece of software. I think um, you know pricing should shouldn't be indicative of that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I just think that it's because of, especially with mobile gaming becoming mm-hmm. such a big deal and the race to the bottom and all that, like we always talk about yeah. on the show. Um, you know, whether we like it or not, I think that the there's no changing the the growing perspective that number of hours and price needs to be somehow some correlation. There, there. needs to be some correlation yeah. there, and I don't personally believe that. I think that's actually a harmful assertion to make. Yeah. But I feel like the the seed has been planted, and there's no going back now. And I think eventually developers are going to be in a position where if their game is short or doesn't have tons of modes and maps and stuff, they're almost not going to have a choice if they want to compete but to lower their prices. But, but I don't want to see that happen. Look at it from the opposite perspective, right? Like there's in line with that. There's almost this perception of price dictates quality. So if I think my game you know, is deserving of a $40 price tag. And I think it'd be doing a service to my consumers to sell it at $40. What's the perception then about how it stacks up to a game that is $60? That happened with Recore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's like, yeah, they, uh, they, they priced it a little bit more modestly and people were like, oh, it's shovelware. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the mid range. And it yeah. turned out to be kind of an average game anyway. But, but then you see something. Still, right. was, oh my average, God, it's all true. The perception was there way before the game was released. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that happened with Ratchet and Clank. That was at a, I think that was at $40 when it released and that was, the perception was, oh no, this is going to be sort of a budget Ratchet and Clank. Yeah. Another reboarding. Reboarding. Yeah, couldn't be anything And it was one of my favorite that. games yeah. of that year and yeah. I think yeah. a lot of people genuinely love that game. It's, yeah, it's, Totally, yeah. So we're at, at a, we're at a price now. Where, or we're, sorry, we're at a point now where price is basically another marketing tool, right? Yeah. Like, what the price of your game says about your game is as important as the marketing that you push out. Um, you know, because I, they could have dropped as much marketing as they want to about Record, but like that price point is what NeoGaf grabbed onto and what Reddit grabbed onto, yeah. mm-hmm. and then it like No Man's Sky, like it just sort of proliferates throughout the community. Yeah, that's true. All right, moving on. Uh, we got some uh, some unfortunate news this week about the future of the Deus Ex oh, franchise, mm. or even if there uh, will be a future. For Don't future. say that. <laughs> no, I know. So, like last year, <laughs> what last August, we got Deus Ex: Mankind Divided. Yes, uh, you reviewed it. You liked it very much. Yes, I, I played it. I liked it very much. Did we? Uh, did everyone play it here? No, I dabbled in it, but I was reviewing. Something. Yeah, I, pl- I played a little bit of it, but well, enjoyed what I did. Yeah, I finished the game, uh, and I talked about this on the show before. I was enjoying that game, and then I came to the first boss fight and then I beat the first boss and I was like oh that was the end of act one but then nope the credits rolled (laughs) so it's like a cool game that felt unfinished Mm. Uh, and now we get word this week that apparently the developer IDOS is working on the next Tomb Raider game uh, instead of the next Deus Ex, and they also have this deal with Square Enix to work on Marvel games uh, and the the Deus Ex series is being put on hiatus which is really sad because um you know, so about Mankind Divided and and the story, I just want to be clear, and I think you could probably agree with this too, is that it seemed abrupt 
the way it ended, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. Uh, it didn't seem abrupt because the game had been so short. You know, in terms of the time amount of time, the play time, the amount of time you spent playing the game, and the amount of you know what kind of real estate there is there to play around in was totally comparable to Human Revolution. The difference was yeah. the difference was is that in terms of the story, yeah. the story was much more zoomed in to one event. You know, I don't want to, you know, spoil anyone, but like basically what happens at the beginning of the game is what you focus in on the whole time. And so, and there's a specific reason for that uh, because it felt like the end of chapter one because Eidos Montreal had, have, when I went there to preview Mankind Divided, the head of the studio told me that they had Deus Ex games planned out to 2025. Mm. So what happened to all those plans? So yeah, <laughs> that, all that's, just being shelved. That's I mean, obviously it has to do with the fact that Deus Ex didn't perform yeah. to their to their. Yeah, like we don't have exact yeah. sales numbers, but uh, the week or the month that it was out, it was number three on MPD. So it actually yeah. it must have done fairly well at when, launch. Yeah. You know. What was it? Was it August? I think it was August or or September. It was late, later last. Yeah, around there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, what is before the October crush of games? Yeah, does that say more about the month though, or the quality of the game? I don't know. I also, Ooh, I mean, I, I, it wasn't like it didn't have a lot of competition around that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, I, I think the the thing is is that games. There's also games similar to it that do things in a way that's a little bit more dishonored. Yeah, sure. Dishonored is a great example of of a game that does the, the similar kinds of things where it's melding stealth and action and kind of RPG style choice. In this really fluid kind of organic way, like Dishonored is way more like I feel like a player's game. Mm. It's a it's a go and do and learn by by doing. And I feel like Deus Ex is like you have to have methodical understanding of your environment and of the gameplay systems. And if you don't, then it can feel really bad. Like yeah. if you play Deus Ex as a shooter, I mean, I would say Mankind Divided feels better than Human Revolution did, but it's still for the most part. If you're comparing the two by how things feel when things go wrong, <laughs> it feels a lot more fun to play Dishonored when things go wrong than when Deus Ex, when then, then when things go wrong in Deus Ex. And the thing is that with modern stealth games, especially in like the perspective that they play in, things always inevitably go wrong. Like you don't have a top-down perspective to see what's happening around yeah. you. So I think like that chaos breaks out, then Deus Ex feels like a pseudo passable decent shooter and Dishonored 2, you feel like you're a badass like, you know, you know, human slaying god yeah. basically and people like that experience more so I, I just feel like it's an easier Dishonored 2 is an easier sell and kind of has more momentum uh, I don't know yeah but Deus Ex has a, a longer history you know go back going back to what around 2000 <coughs> the first Deus Ex uh, yeah 99 or late 2000 nine, when 90s, the first yeah. one comes out yeah I mean but that's I mean that's that's old man games Damon you know that that's us. <laughs> that's, 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 that's us. That's us for the. No, no. I like. You know. I, I know. I give uh, mankind divided a hard time for feeling unfinished, but I totally had fun with that game. But when I compare it to something like Uncharted Four, yeah, that feels like this huge, big, complete adventure with a mm-hmm. beginning, a middle, and an end, even an epilogue tacked on. Uh, when I compared it to something like that, you know, I just felt like I was in the middle of mankind divided, and it just ended. So. That wouldn't bother me as much if I knew I was going to continue that story in a year or two. But now it's yeah. like, oh, and I think not. It, I think it means it's on hold uh, because they really only officially were talking about the Avengers and other Marvel projects they have going yeah. on. So I'm sure at some point they will look into returning to Deus Ex. I know they haven't really officially been talking about the next Tomb Raider game yet either. Um, so it depends yeah. where they're going to end up putting their resources. Um, yeah, it did, but, totally makes sense. Yeah. Like with Infinity War coming up, like... <clears throat> you definitely want to have your resources making a game that they know is going to sell just on the name alone, right? Rather than, like you said, as much as you'd love to see it or, or we'd love to see it, like 
you have a small window to capitalize on a new Avengers movie coming out. So like sure. it makes sense to put things on hold and prioritize. It's also a marketing play too. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, like, look, I know I, I actually I'm one of the few people I think who actually likes the character of Adam Jensen. But I, I feel think like, it's cool. Yeah, I think I I like him and I kind of like his understated, gruff, like almost removed and not actually that human or demonstrably emotional like demeanor. I, I kind of like that about him. I think it's interesting and not the same as every other uh kind of wisecracking hero. Mm. But the also very long arms. Also very long arms. Yeah. Good, wi- I mean, good wingspan. <laughs> <laughs> but the wisecracking hero is Kind of what sells, like for, just from a marketing standpoint, you you let someone watch thirty seconds of you know Nathan Drake talking versus yeah, uh, Adam yeah. Jensen, and there's one game you know you wanna you wanna play, one guy you wanna you wanna spend lots of hours with. So yeah. I think that has a, a role in it too. It's just hard to market, I think, a character like Adam Jensen to a modern audience. Yeah, and the Avengers has six wisecracking heroes. Exactly, so that's <laughs> yeah. easier to market. One of whom is always angry. Yeah, so, yeah. You know. that's. Um, I mean, yeah, it totally goes back to. Do you remember the big? Uh, God, what was it? 2014, like. Some like eight out of ten of the year's big AAA titles had a white guy walking towards the camera with a yep. buzzed head. Oh, the that's the Bioshock yeah. Infinite yeah. year, and oh, yeah, Bioshock, and there was a Mass Effect, oh, was Mass Effect three, twenty twelve, uh, maybe thirteen. I have no idea when years go anything by. happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so games came out then, and a lot of the box arts had the same <laughs> the same guy on it, and it totally makes sense. Like you see that. And you see something that it's not clearly as defined and clearly as tested as that. And it's hard to make that sell, right? Like you, I know what I'm getting when I see the battlefield soldier walk towards me, you know, like I'm going to get to be that guy, but I see Adam Jensen right there. And I, you know, not, I assume we're going to shoot people, but I'm not hundred percent, hundred percent. You don't have to shoot people. It's true. That's the beauty of DSX. Uh, also, he looks like a sad boy and people, people just don't give sad boys a chance. It's just like, I feel like we're going to have to talk about what's bothering him <laughs> and like, I don't Probably know. Probably all the cybernetics. Just no one has time for that. <laughs> all right, moving on. Uh, we mentioned uh, EA's financial report, which came out this week. Yep. And uh, during that call, EA uh, <clears throat> talked about uh, a new IP intellectual property. Oh, from, oh, thank you, David. Thank you. Coming from BioWare before March of 2018. Yes. So actually not. That far off, so awesome. Yeah. Uh, and they des- they de- they describe this new game as a clean sheet design with new concepts, new gameplay mechanics, and new stories set in a unique new universe. I'm waiting for the last part. This game has the potential to fundamentally disrupt the way people think about an action title. Whoa. Bringing friends together to play in exhilarating new ways. Whoa. We're very excited about the future of this new franchise and its ability to attract a large global audience. Marketing. And then Bioware chimed in. This is actually Bioware's uh, blog writing in here to say, in 2012, we began crafting a new universe full of new characters, stories, and games. Five years. Our ambition is simple. Draw upon 20 <laughs> plus years of development knowledge and lessons to create something fun and new for you to enjoy with your friends. Is that all? Simple. There's nothing quite as exciting oh, as building not. a new IP <laughs> from scratch and it will be even more thrilling for us to share more with you in the future. Mm-hmm. What do we make mm. of all that? <laughs> I, I, the, they sure are making a video game yeah, in 2017. Wow. That's, yeah. that's a game for sure. Um, I mean, right off the bat, March, you know, coming out February, March, Totally not surprising for new IP, right? Like, you're not going to put that up against the fall. The other, I think there was a line in there that said um, something along the lines of, like, cross-genre or something like that. Re- yeah, genre melding re- was in Redefining. The, the and yeah. the very first thing that comes to mind when I think of that is, one, Destiny, and two, Overwatch. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I agree with that. But do you think, when you think of Destiny and Overwatch, do you think Bioware? 
that's the thing, right? Like it's not an RPG. And when I think Bioware, I think RPG. So I don't know, like I'm totally off script right now. Like I have no idea where we are. Heavy story focus and character building. Yeah. To make well, you, something that massive, you could argue that like you could argue that Activision thinks Destiny is very sure. heavy story focused sure. narrative, right? None and, of it and, happens inside the game. No, well, and I <laughs> yeah. mean, same with Overwatch. There's a huge lore in a world to all of that, but it's right. not what you're playing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like if I if you want comic books, like that's definitely the the universe for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like it's 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 a lot of buzzwords in there. There's a lot of bravado in that yeah. announcement, yeah. and yeah. I mean, I mean, they need they need something, right? They need they need to have like. I feel like if if you strip out all the things that make Bioware games worthwhile and make them Bioware games, mm. and you say you're just you're done with that, you're doing something else completely different. Yeah, why? You're, you're gonna have to speak with big words and you know lots of flashing lights to get people to pay attention because on um, you know when you strip all of that out, I'm just like, why would I? Play? As a longtime Bioware fan, I'm like, why mm. would I play this and not? I don't know, a game from one of the other very many developers that I know can do a game like yeah. this I mean, very it's, well. Already. It sounds like we're being harsh, but like yeah. Bioware, I mean, you have my undivided attention no matter when you release a new IP. I will definitely want to see what you're doing. Of course. Yeah. Just based on their pedigree. But like, like you said, I mean, it's not broken, right? Like I think Bioware, they do one thing incredibly well. And to sort of step out of the mold from that, I'm, I'm – I mean, I'm intrigued, but I'm also a little worried. Well, right? but they've clearly also been taking the time. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, since 2012. Yeah, yeah, they they clearly weren't trying to rush this out the door to just sure. get a new IP going. Yeah. So they've probably been working on it to make sure it was right before they revealed this to I the mean, world. Yeah, yeah. Night, and Knights of the New Republic. <laughs> <laughs> and they've been sliding in this direction little by little for like a long time now, yeah. right? You know, um, with Mass Effect 2, they made a strong, strong move more towards it being an action mm-hmm. game and a shooter rather than an RPG. With Dragon Age 2, they tried to make that move and got crucified for it. You press uh, a button and something awesome happens. Right. Was right. the quote that, like, we'll never die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. and, yeah, so they... they that was from tr- Inqu- or Dragon Age 2? Or, or, that was Dragon Age 2, yeah. yeah. Okay. What was yeah. Dragon they've, they've been making this move... Little by little, and those those are like two examples that didn't, you know. Well, Mass Effect Two worked out really well. Dragon Age Two, not so much. And then, you know, I don't know. They added kind of like multi, an interesting, a fairly interesting multiplayer mode to Mass Effect Three. You, you can see the signs. They want to move on from RPG. I mean, yeah. well, the, the doctors yeah. moved on. They left. Yeah, they're gone. You know, yeah, so gone, so yeah. that pedigree. I don't want to say they have no other talent there, but you know, I think they oh, want to yeah. expand into other markets that are. Big. Does anyone remember Shadow Realms? I mean, yes. A little bit. Yeah. This was Bioware's uh, asymmetrical multiplayer game that they announced oh, a I couple of years ago, yeah. but then canceled in early 2015. No, I didn't remember mm-hmm. that. So. Oh, okay. I don't know if some maybe some part of that has been reworked into whatever this new Possible. thing is. It would make yeah. sense. But yeah. we know, you know, that was at least... Uh, a, a multiplayer game that with, they had yeah. announced, bef- you know, before. Well, and especially with the move from Mass Effect Three into a multiplayer space, yeah. it certainly yeah. seems like. When was this announced? 2014. Okay. Mm-hmm. It would, uh, Gamescom and uh, it Comic-Con. would make sense. Like they put two years in development of whatever that tech is going to be, and then that. realize that's not going to work out. And so they've technically been working on it since 2012. Yep. So it could be an. In- Man, I would really. I don't know how I would feel if the next Bioware game is online only, multiplayer only. How would you feel if it were free to play? Um, I'd, I'd feel fine. That's fine. Yeah. I've, yeah. I mean, I've played a million great free to play games. A million. A million. <laughs> Literally one million. <laughs> no. no, as long as there's a, my, my big thing is like I multiplayer. Do. I really do. The, the multiplayer can mean a lot of things, though. You know, like as yeah. long as there is, I would say, as long as there's a PVE experience of some kind to have, then there's at least a chance that there's a world and kind of like 
an experience to go on, a quest to go on, uh, areas to explore. Like multiplayer doesn't have to mean like, hey, you're in an arena shooting at each other. Yeah, it could mean other things, and I hope it means other things because. I, if I want to just go into an arena and shoot people there, I have so many choices that I do not need Bioware for. Yeah. Um, I And w- on the flip side, I have so few choices in terms of developers doing what Bioware does yeah. right now, and I just don't want to lose that. So call me bitter. <laughs> not going to call you that. Uh, <laughs> no, everybody's everybody's trying to make a game as service. Yeah. Uh, they don't want to just make a that's the model a sixty dollar game that you buy once, play for forty hours, and then put away. They want you to you know, they want Destiny, Overwatch, a game that you'll just keep playing, and they can Platform, keep yeah. you know keep you as a customer all year long. And uh, this is EA's. It's got to be uh, one of EA and Bioware's plays to do that. I imagine. Let's check in with the listeners. Hey, listeners. Thank you, listeners. Remember, you can always reach us at the email address gamescoop at ign.com, just like Isaac did. Isaac says hi, guys. Hey, I was wondering if any major fighting game lets you create a fighter. Something along the lines of a WWE game. If not, why and would this be a good feature? Um, Vince? Uh, okay, so there have been there have been several fighting games that allow you to either create or customize a character for use. So uh, even major ones. I'm trying to think. One of the Soul Calibers, I want to say four. four? Yep. Wow. Right, yeah. yeah. I'm um, surprised you knew that. That's, that's Why? Because it's random. <laughs> All right, you know what? <laughs> I, I don't think of you as a Good fighting job, game guy. I was, I was really into Soul Calibur. And I, okay. And that's the, that's the, that's what I was going to say. It's not so much that, like, oh, you don't you wouldn't play a fighting game. It's more like Soul Calibur 4 of all the random stuff. No, I got into Soul Calibur at 2 and then stopped at 5. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Soul, yeah. Soul Calibur 4 had that. Um, there was a, a kind of more obscure fighter on the PS1 called Tobal Number 2. Yeah. Uh, Tobal 1. Make your fighter maker mode. You can get yeah, you have a fighter maker mode. Then there's like actual like fighter maker, which was also for the PS One, <laughs> literally uh, called fighter yeah, maker. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's so good. So, yeah. it's like, yeah, what do we I call have, it? Well, what no, is it? I have a story about that. Game. <laughs> oh, do you? I think it's yeah. It was all, it was all about designing your own fighters and designing their moves and everything. And I bought the game and I was so excited. But it was only after I got home that I realized that every single one of the fighters you created took up an entire memory card. Yeah. Wow. So it's like, it just wasn't, uh, you know, it just didn't make any sense. It was but, the same yeah. thing with RPG Maker. It was, it was yeah. like that. It just took up an entire like, mem- well, a mem- memory card. I'm, gonna do I'm not going to keep like 15 memory cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. my fighters on. It's the most expensive game I've ever bought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, as, as far as like why it's not Done. I mean, yeah, it's balanced. Well, I mean, it's it's balanced. It's balance, all yeah, it's all balanced. Exactly. I mean, there's, there it, it would be but, very difficult to balance something like but that. But imagine a Street Fighter game could have uh, you know an on a multiplayer mode that was just for created fighters, right? And it doesn't sure. need to be used in tournaments or anything, right? But when you think well, about it, and this is what's interesting, you know, Injustice Two is already playing with this idea of all, the all these different all the loot. all these different uh, uh, gear slots, mm. yeah. and then ability modifications, and we already know that that's going to be like there's a when you go play ranked, at least for now, what they're saying, and this could change obviously by the time the game comes out, but what they're saying now is that you just when you play ranked, that's just not. Yeah, it's just removed. Yeah, it's just removed. I mean, For Honor is doing something very similar where the armor that you get changes a a couple sliders on each piece of gear. Like, you have faster cooldown on this or you block more damage on that. Mm. And, like, you put all these together to create your character, your fighter, um, and then you go into... Uh, their 4v4 mode and like that all that stuff applies but when you go into 2v2 or 1v1 duels like that is stripped off and it's just it's just the you know bare bones characters in that um i mean they could do something like soul calibrated right where you create your character and then give it a move set based on 
an existing character. An existing character, right. But then at that point, it's like, am I really creating a character? Yeah, I mean, it's just cosmetic. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's it's this weird kind of uh, in between. But like at the end of the day, like you just can't, if you want people who like love fighting games and want to play competitively to play your game, like there's no way they're going to play a game where, you know, they could lose just because some other guy's been grinding and grinding and grinding and getting the best gear for their character like or yeah that's just that's yeah or or sets his moves to something that is just super cheap right yeah like nothing but long-range pokes and <laughs> <oof>. <laughs> that's your kryptonite huh i've <laughs> helix from soul caliber right <laughs> i right. thought there was a, a make your fighter make your own fighter game for WiiWare, but i couldn't remember mm, the name Huh. Nobody remembers. If anyone remembers yeah. that game, or if it was, was even real, <laughs> dream it. <laughs> I mean, is this Super Mario Brothers two? <laughs> giving away ideas. Uh, <laughs> this is Jell Snelders. Hey, Jell Snelders. Hey, Jell Snelders, great name. Yeah, the best name. He says he's got an idea for a new PlayStation handheld. You guys ready? We're going to oh, pitch yeah. this to you. We're on Shark Tank. Are here. we Shark Tanking? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Jell says about a year ago, I bought a PlayStation Vita. I was thinking Good of, for you. Good for you. I was thinking of how uh, such how could such a great device <laughs> died. Uh, the game's library is very limited, and currently nothing is being developed for it. There you go. Not nothing, but sure. Developers had to make exclusive releases instead of porting their games to the Vita since the device is not powerful enough. Recently, I discovered Remote Play, and it surprised me how well it worked. But also, that is compromised by the lack of the L2 R2 buttons. That annoying back touchpad and the useless camera overpriced the Vita unnecessarily. What if Sony launched a handheld with the sole purpose of streaming PS4 games on it? You would, of course, need a proper internet connection for it, but you could play PS4 games in your living room while your girlfriend watches her annoying series. If Sony would release as a gadget for, say, 150 to 200 bucks, would you be interested? And a handheld that just streams your PS4 games. Sounds like an NVIDIA Shield <laughs> for the PS4. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, no, yeah. Sounds like my Vita now, but with two more shoulder buttons. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you were, and and but not able to play all the awesome games that I play on my Vita, and not able to take it on the go with you. No, I guess. Yeah, that would. Yeah, yeah. you'd need some sort of. So you're yeah. basically buying a second screen for an existing console. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a um, Wii U gamepad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would no. I would not buy the PlayStation <laughs> Switch. Sorry, I, sorry, Jills. I, I cannot. I cannot fund this. <laughs> Is that what they say on Shark Tank? I have no idea. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I, I just made it up right now. Sorry, you feel like they have to make a shark pun. Probably. You've, you've, yeah, I was. Yeah. You've I been eaten. No, it's no. not. No, you've been eaten. You've yeah, been eaten. Uh, also, let me just say what we're all thinking. Uh, we would. Phrase. We would all watch. So we would bad. all. We would all watch our girlfriend's TV shows. I yeah. think pretty much oh, everyone here. I I unapologetically and. Unguiltily watch The Bachelor every Monday night nice. with, my, with my wife. With, yeah. I watch every show on the CW. I'm, the, <laughs> I'm their core demographic. So. <laughs> Are you the biggest Gilmore Girls fan? I love maybe that. I ever. Love that Probably. Yeah. Gilmore guy. Oh uh, yeah, it's a good podcast. Someone's Twitter <laughs> handle is getting updated. <laughs> This is Bon Turkington. Getting some really good names today. Dude, names are too good. These are not real names. Name. <laughs> these are just IGN staffers writing into us. <laughs> this dude was a guitarist in a 1980s metal band. <laughs> Kurt bon Bajurkin. Yeah. Bon this is you're laughing at this guy's name. No, I love this. No, your name is fantastic. Yeah, we have boring. He says, "Greetings, Damon and Scoopers. I hope you are all having a great week." Not Damon band. and the Scoopers is the name of our band. <laughs> yeah, that's like not it. that's not good. Yeah, scooping. Gem in the holograms. Damon <laughs> and the Scoopers. I don't want to be a scooper. 
<laughs> I feel like there's a pejorative sort of association attached with that. Uh, bon Turkington says, with a new pair of consoles arriving this year, Switch and Scorpio, I've also been thinking about my favorite games and consoles from the past. I was born in 85 and I've been right playing on. games since my grubby pink mitts could fit around an NES controller. Over the years, besides devouring all the latest offerings, I have built up a sizable collection of older consoles and games dating back to the NES era. However, for all the generations represented in my collection, I'm missing anything before that. You frequently like to help new gamers or new collectors who are looking for advice on which games or consoles to begin their journey on. Just the other week, you helped a new Nintendo fan decide where to jump into their catalog of games. But I rarely hear mention of anything before the NES era. Is it worth my time, money, and shelf space to seriously focus on collecting old Atari consoles and others from before I was born? I can see a number of problems with doing so. First of all, the games are arguably harder to enjoy, at least for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Also, the old hardware is literally falling apart, with yeah. some chips, screens, and batteries failing after more than 35 years in existence. Am I better off playing Rare Replay and other collections with older games and focusing my collection on what I have been, or can you really make an argument that the very first consoles are worth owning? I, I personally, as someone whose first console was the Texas Instruments uh, mm. TI-99-4A, going, which is like going back, back. Like, yeah. No, it's it's not <laughs> worth going no. back. It's just yeah. not worth going back. I mean, there's no game that exists on a ColecoVision, an old Atari, um, you know, uh, the Intellivision, <laughs> the Odyssey, that, any of that first party system seller for yeah. the Atari. <laughs> is that what you mean? <laughs> Like none of that stuff. Like there's not a single game on any of them that didn't that there isn't a better version of. And when I say better, I don't mean like modern, super fancy. Th- no, I mean like a cleaner, sure. better playing, yeah. wet, better running version of the same exact thing that you can get either through emulation or or yeah. uh, or in some collections. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I grew up during that time. I played all those old games, but even I like even when you play some of the games on the NES Classic, you're like, uh, this is like. I like the novelty of revisiting yeah. this, yeah, but I yeah. don't really want to play much of this today. I, I actually yeah. had that experience. And it's going back before the NES is uh, you get diminishing returns. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I I don't think you're really like if if you want to like be just be a collector, sure That's by all means, yeah. hunt down these old sure. consoles. But don't I I wouldn't recommend it uh, if you actually plan on playing or, or wanting to play a lot of these games. I will say there's one exception to all this. What's that? Um, if you can find yourself a, uh, a unit that's working well, definitely it's worth, I think, the experience and the, the to play a, a Vectrix. Um, well, the, yeah. Yeah, the vector-based graphics, like, you can't... There is no other way to experience that uh, but to buy that system. And the the look of it is just so unique and kind of space-age for the... Even, not, not just for the time, even now. Like, I think I was at a PAX... Yeah. I think I was at PAX East maybe mm-hmm. three years ago, and I went to the retro room, yeah. uh, le- the free play room, and played around with the Vectrix. And the version of Asteroids on there, you couldn't, I couldn't pull my, I, they had to pull me away. Like it, it, just, it runs so smooth, and it looks so singular mm-hmm. and different and clean and unique from anything else. That I think that that is, those that system is a, is an old experience that's worth having that you can't have anywhere else. I would agree with that. Actually, mm-hmm. yeah, Vectrex games are really cool. Yeah, but you can find those. Those are arcade versions of like Tempest. Sure, sure, sure. But there's yeah. something about the vector vector based graphics that just yeah, gives them a, a totally unique look and feel, a level of kind of depth and, like I said, a space agey feel. I know that doesn't sound very technical, but that uh, I don't think you can get anywhere else. This is Thomas Embry. Hey, hey Thomas. Thomas. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> says hi, guys. Fall asleep with the wheel. I'm a young lad from Birmingham, England, hey. and recently I remembered that I have an EA access code lying about. 
I redeemed the code and thus realized that there are games you can play for free, as long as you are subscribed. I wasn't aware of this, as I thought you could only play Trials. There are games for everyone, including RPGs and sports games. For $20 a year, I think this is a great deal, as some of these games on there, on their own, cost $20 or more. Do you think that developers and publishers should have these kinds of services, like Activision, Blizzard, or Bethesda, or do you think they would lose too much money? So the real question is, like, should other publishers have their own sort of subscription programs where you gain access to their game libraries? I mean, yeah, sure. I, I have a feeling EA is doing this. EA's access is, is twofold. One, uh, when sales drop off for games uh, enough, the access subscription sort of makes up for it if that game is going to draw you into subscribing to the program, in addition to, uh, you know, the, the sneak peek of upcoming games as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could see Activision like play any Call of Duty whenever you want at any time for $10 a, a month. You know, I could see them doing something like that because yeah. no one's buying World at War anymore. Um, but I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. It seems like one of those problems that isn't big enough to uh, to really need to make a published mandate for. Yeah. Um, I mean, personally, I think that if it's the right publisher with the right library of games and the price is right it can be a good way to extract extra revenue yeah. from games that have stopped selling anyway like yeah, exactly. you know i don't yeah. know like so for i know you're just throwing out numbers like i don't know if ten dollars a month is something i would pay to play sure. any call of yeah. duty ever but like i don't know maybe like something in that neighborhood if you found the right number i mean like what what's the harm in offering that right like you're not cannibalizing you know you're not hurting the sales of call of duty you know the original modern warfare i mean World like, of War. you know well, right you're not you're not going to hurt those game sales you can only that's only extra revenue on games that you already made and that have long since stopped selling so i don't see any reason not to try to pilot a program like that um well the flip side of that is that it has to pay for itself because you need to have yeah. the staff and the infrastructure and you need to digitize the games and you need to make them available on the portal so i mean there's there's considerable overhead that goes into creating a program like that and would it pay off like yeah the initial investment would be tough right because the older games probably weren't made initially in terms of their architecture like mm -hmm. to be easily played digitally or you know there's but for going forward, though, right. once you develop kind of like a process, like a workflow, um, all new games going forward could be very easy to make available in that way. And so like when, say, you know, the newest Call of Duty is 10 years old or eight years old and it's already got those hooks in it. Yeah. Sure. Why not? I mean, mm -hmm. from a consumer standpoint, though, is anybody really looking for more services to subscribe to? I don't no. want any. No. no. I, yeah, I it, I think it would depend if the marketplace wants that, and I don't know if it necessarily does, especially yeah. when you're getting free games every month from a PS Plus or Xbox Live, yeah. and now whatever the Switch uh, program will be offering with classic NES and SNES games every month. Uh, I don't necessarily know if you need that many services to just split the user base more and more. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Like, if I'm in the mood to play something, like, just something new that I don't care, I have a year and a half of Xbox Live Gold and PS Plus titles that I haven't even touched yeah. on a two-terabyte hard drive that's plugged into my Xbox. Um, but, like, if I have an itch to play something from a back catalog, like, I'll go buy it for $20 on the Xbox yeah. Store, or I'll go buy it for $20 on the on PlayStation Plus. Um, I don't think I would need to subscribe to Activision to get access to, you know, Skate or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I think if anything, what like the NES Mini proved though is that for if you have this very singular situation where you have a, a large back catalog of that's great why, yeah. of great games yeah. that are not easy and convenient to play anymore, you could certainly sell a service. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I will just say this: if they can sell NES Minis for sixty dollars, then I'm sure they can get. Like, I would legit. 
to not have to have my entire massive collection shipped over here from New York, I would totally pay $10 a month to have access to every single NES and Super NES game yeah. ever. Yeah. Like, Nintendo is totally like maybe the rare exception yeah. where their, right. their catalog is so rich and, mm. and impressive that, yeah, I'd pay a, a subscription fee to have access to all of Nintendo's first party games. Yeah, mm. for sure. Something like that is much more alluring than pay $10 to play World at War whenever you right. want. On a, <laughs> on a unified console, right? Yeah. Yes. Like, I've, yeah. I've never played a Monster Hunter game because I'm not a big uh, handheld gamer. Mm-hmm. So I would love the opportunity to play that at a console. Um, yeah, totally agree with you. Uh, all right, now is the time on GameSoup when we play video game 20 questions. Oh, oh boy. Right. So we're all coming into this a little a little nervous. Because <laughs> <Don't be nervous. laughs> our heavy hitters are gone. <laughs> Don't be nervous. Jonathan, this is your first time. Do you I'm know excited. how this works? Yes, but okay. if you want to refresh Well, you know, I, you do know how 20 questions work. Yes, right? I do. Yeah. Well, video game 20 questions is infinitely easier because you already know it's a video <laughs> game. <laughs> Narrows it down. Person, place, or thing. No, it's a video, it's a video oh, game. Fruit. And you have uh, 20 yes or no questions to guess. Uh, this week's suggestion comes from... Chris White. Hey, Chris White. Chris White emailed in this week's suggestion. Let the questioning begin. Okay, so I'll just lead us off with the old faithful. uh, Was this uh, game released before January 1st, 2000? Yes. Okay. Okay, I'm blanking on what the... uh, with the narrowing down question. So usually once we, once we, once we know that, once we know that, then usually we'll, we'll start either, we'll narrow the time down further by like seeing if it was in the nineties or something. Um, so okay. Was it released after January 1st, 1990? Yes. Okay. Okay. So now we have a, now we have a window. Uh, was it released on a, on the, a PlayStation platform? No. Okay, so um, just to clear up everything else, then uh, was this a platform exclusive game? Yes. Okay. What do we got? Nintendo. So we're talking. We're, we're in the nineties. Yeah. And <laughs> we're, we are in the nineties. So we're we're in the nineties, and it's not a Sony platform. So like the thing is, the nineties is this overlap time where like yeah, that's tough. Like like early nineties, there's still a couple of NES games coming out, but like mm-hmm. not that many. It's mostly there's Super Nintendo at this point. Bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's and really Super Super Nintendo, and then right, then you get into get the N sixty four as well. If you're talking on Nintendo, yeah, um, and know, Sega is. Uh, the Genesis, yeah, you have the Genesis and the Saturn, yeah. and the Dreamcast are all uh, are all in that. Do but, we want to waste a well, question right. on Dreamcast and Saturn were discs? Genesis, SNES, sixty four were cartridges. Uh, I think that's a waste of a question. So we I feel know like the we know it's a disc split isn't the way to go. <laughs> right, right. No, it's so, but we know it's strategizing. We know it's a we know it's a console. We know it's a platform exclusive though. So, yeah. um, I would I would continue narrowing down the platform. Yeah. That's you. That's your question, though. Um, did this game come out on the Nintendo 64? No. Okay. Uh, might as well just clear it up then. Yeah. For, yeah. Uh, did this come out on uh, any Nintendo platform? No. No. Okay. Okay. So, uh, is Dreamcast or the Genesis? So, uh, right. Um, so, was, was this on a Sega platform? Y- yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could clear it up. I yeah. wish you had just said, that, was it on yeah. the Dreamcast? Because then it would be the Genesis. Yeah. Um, oh, right. Oh. Yeah. That would have been 
We can have that back, right? No. <laughs> uh, okay. No, because it could have been the Saturn as well. That's true. Could have been the Saturn. Well. Okay. Was it on the? Uh, you said Dreamcast. It's Dreamcast, Saturn, or, or or Genesis. Yeah. Oh, but you said Sega. Okay. Yeah. Uh, was this game on the Dreamcast? No. No. Okay. So. Safe to assume it was the Genesis. Genesis. Do we want to operate on that? I mean, we've we've for now? we've burned all yeah, these questions. Yeah, yeah, we've burned, on, <laughs> yeah, at yeah, this we've point. burned quite we a should, bit. We yeah. should we should get the uh, platform. Yeah. Do you play as a human in this game? No. Okay. Okay. Um, is the primary mode of interaction shooting? Uh, no. That's ten. Okay. Okay. So not human. Mm-hmm. Not shooting. Assume, mm, I'm thinking platformer. It's the Lion King. It's got. Be right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you can ask if it's a Disney because there are multiple Disney platformers. Though. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like is it a platformer is a better. Yeah, that's, if you want to. Yeah, is it is it a platformer? No. Oh, well, it's oh, not Lion King. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> knocks out that knocks out a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hmm. What do we want to go for then? Uh, a game where you don't don't play as a human. It's not a platformer, and you're not shooting is the primary way of play. Echo the dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> is that in any way considered a platformer? <laughs> I don't know. No, definitely no. not. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. Yeah, it's an exploration game. It's worth a shot. I don't want to get into the Does genre. This game take place <laughs> in the genre game. Does this game take place underwater? Yes. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Are, are you a dolphin? Yes. <laughs> Is it Echo the Dolphin? Yes. Got it. Echo yes. the Dolphin. Yes. All right. There you go. Right there. Jeez, right there. So you're so and one for the host. Yeah. You're so unconfident going into this. Yeah, got it. Echo the Dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> Nineteen ninety-two. One thing that might have tripped you up is that uh, Sega did not develop that game. They only published it. It was developed by or by a developer known as Novo Trade. Never even heard of him. Yeah, ah, exactly. I forgot. I forgot about that. Action adventure, I think, is the genre. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. That's yeah. fair. Single that's, player game. That's the catch-all genre yeah. for anything. Exactly. That we don't yeah, know yeah. exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. Is there yeah. action? Is there adventure? Well, yeah. At Game of the Year voting, it's like, oh, is this more of an action game? Is it an adventure game? Or is it an action-adventure game? I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. You know anymore. what? If it's, a, if it's a sandbox game, it's action-adventure. Get it out of here. Exactly. But I actually don't remember like if I, if Echo shot anything. I was guessing. He he, I thought he shot he bubbles so or like yeah. sonar okay. or something. Yeah. Shooting yeah. would be like implies like a project. He, yeah. he yeah. could yeah. fire yeah. out like kind of like a generalized. <laughs> he didn't shoot. Sonar. He fired. Sonar. Yeah. Sonar. Yeah. 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 Sonar. He screeched. Sound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think I was misleading you. No. 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 Nicely done. And thank you for the suggestion. Who sent in that suggestion again? That was Chris, uh, Chris White? White. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Thank Thanks, you, Chris. Chris. Really, thank you, Chris. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> well played. Yeah. You're, uh, right in my wheelhouse. I feel less embarrassed for my and, first time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Justin and Sam, they're going to get to enjoy your like your win. Yeah. It's all. It's a group win. Yes. <laughs> oh, good. So they good. the win. Gets Happy to help. We took it home for the team. It's a team thing. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I think that's all the scoops we have for you this week. Remember you, can, remember, you can always reach us at the email address, gamescoop at IGN.com. Thank you, Vince. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank yep. you. My name is Damon. This is IGN Gamescoop. Right. Later, folks.
Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.